Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League in partnership with Indigo Education and Pollen. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. Ed Talks is supported by generous grants from the Bush Foundation and the Vern C. Johnson Family Foundation. This Ed Talks focuses on restorative practices and peacemaking circles in schools, a way of being. Our featured speaker is Jamie Williams. Jamie is a restorative practices consultant, trainer, teacher, and peacemaking circle keeper. She has worked as a restorative justice coordinator in Wisconsin, supported project launch at the Red Cliff Reservation Early Childhood Center, and the Amicus Radius Program, a restorative justice program for juvenile girls. And she has served as a Minnesota Department of Corrections circle keeper. This Ed Talk was recorded in front of a live audience at Ice House in Minneapolis on February 26, 2018. I'm so excited and so grateful and so thankful tonight for this opportunity of sharing my passion that's lasted for about 20 years and really living my dream up here. I want to thank Danielle Grant very much for inviting me and Achieve Minneapolis, the Citizens League, and Indigo Education and Pollen. And I thank all of you for coming out on this night after a lot of snow here. I stand on the back of a lot of people's I stand on the backs of a lot of people tonight, which I wanted to mention all of them, but in 20 minutes here, I just can't do that. So I just want to acknowledge there's been a lot of people who've contributed to the knowledge and wisdom I've gained over the years. This is, um, this is uh, the restorative way. That's uh, Chuck Robertson Sr. and Oscar Reed, who was here tonight, who've been my work partners for many years. Um, when I was about 14 years old, one of my greatest fantasies was to be Julie in the Mod Squad. And they just did a marathon of it over the weekend, actually. And uh, so anyway, this is as close as I got. That's my Pete and Link up there. And it was just been, it's been an amazing time. Uh, Frederick Buchner said that when a, ca a calling is when a deep gladness in your heart meets a deep need in the world. And I feel like that's what the circle has been for me. I got my start in the Seward Neighborhood Group in about 90, 90, 1997 when there was some money in Minneapolis and they gave neighborhoods money and the Seward Neighborhood wanted to start a restorative justice program. And I was really um, privileged and honored to be able to do that. I had a f little bit of training there and um, my circle group loved each other so much we came back for a reunion with each other and that reunion was on April 21st, 1999. And some of you might remember that that was the day after the shooting at Columbine High School. And I think Parkland, Florida has been on the minds of all of us in the last week, but that day in that reunion, I decided I'm doing this work in schools for the rest of my life. I don't know what it's gonna look like or how it's gonna shake out, but I'm just gonna do that. So um, just a little difference between restorative practice and restorative justice. Restorative justice is about community and relationships and being with each other. 
and we work really hard at maintaining those relationships. Restorative justice is about, you know, when, when there's been some harm done to the community, then there is a peaceful way of resolving that harm or that issue that might, might have arisen. And so the more a school or an agency or just our world is steeped in restorative practices where the basis is being in good relationship with each other, hopefully restorative justice isn't needed to repair that harm. But in case it is, um, that's what restorative justice is. I also feel like a definition of restorative justice could be healing through storytelling. Oscar and I worked together 20 years have realized it's really, really difficult to explain a peacemaking circle uh, standing up in front of people. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to do like a metaphorical or a mock circle. I want you to just take a second to imagine that everybody in this room is in a circle and that we have the opportunity to look in each other's eyes as we proceed. I want to open tonight like I would open a circle and share a few things and then close like we were closing a circle. The first thing that we usually do is we give honor to the original people that lived on the big land that we're privileged to gather on today and to any descendants of those people. And we give honor to anyone who was brought to this land forcibly and any descendants of those people. And to also give honor to people that came to this land of free will and to their descendants. And I also ask that if I forget something or you think, whoa, she should have mentioned that at the comment and question time, just help me out because I don't know everything and I'm still learning something every day. We usually take the time to center ourselves before a circle starts and Dr. Mark Umbright at the U came up with some really great reminders. So if you just want to take a second to check in with yourself, if you're feeling tension in your body or take a few slow deep breaths. And I'll remind you that when you're centered, you're in the present moment. When you're centered, a non-judgmental attitude governs you. When you're centered, you are open to other people's point of view. When we're centered, creativity can emerge because we aren't attached to a specific outcome. When we're centered, we're, with, we're fully present with our heart and our head. And when we're centered, we're grounded in a spirit of compassion and we're grounded in a spirit of humility. I cut my opening really short because of, the, but because of time, so I want to share with you, first of all, my favorite quote about listening, which is, do you understand that you can actually listen a person's soul into existence? Your receptive interest in the people you care for can awaken their dormant powers. I'd like to share just a few lines from a poem that Maya Angelou wrote. I've learned that. I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. I've learned that people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but I've learned people will never forget how you made them feel. I've learned to trust this process. I've learned the seven core beliefs of people that do restorative practice work. They're in the beginning of the book that Carolyn Boys Watson and Kay Pranis wrote called Circle Forward. It's a really amazing book and it's available through Living Justice Press and I'll give you more of a connection to Living Justice Press later. But the first belief of people that do this work is that the true self in everyone is good, wise, and powerful. The second belief is that the world is profoundly connected. The third belief is that all humans have a deep desire 
to be in good relationship. The fourth one is that all humans have gifts and everybody is needed for what they bring. That everything that we need to make positive change is already here. That humans are holistic. That means that we are spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical beings. And Chuck used to say that if we're suffering in any one of those quarters, we're just not rolling right. And if you're my daughter, she say, Mom, I'm really not into that spiritual thing, so I'm more like a Pac-Man, and I'm doing just fine. Um, and the last one is that we need practices that help us build habits of living from our core self. So we believe that the circle is a practice that helps us all live from our good, wise, and powerful self. I just have to mention we had fourth graders at a school Oscar and I were working at last year that asked if, they, if we thought Trump could do circle. Just had to throw that in there. Anyway, I've learned to trust the process. I've learned the most effective guidelines for circle are, are simple, but they aren't, aren't always easy. And the first one is to respect the talking piece. So I have one example up here tonight. This is a walking stick that our buddy Chuck carved that his wife Kathy gifted to us to use as a talking piece in the work that we do. So the first, respect the talking piece, to speak from your heart, speak and listen with respect, remain in the circle, honor confidentiality, and that you may pass. The only thing to be a fully participating member in a circle that you need to do is to be a good listener. There's four phases to the circle process, and it kind of uses the universal wheel. We start in the east, move to the south, the west, and the north, and in the east, we just get acquainted and get to know each other, no matter what reason the circle's called for. In the second phase, we go deeper. We share our core values, what we live by, what we stand for, and we tell our stories, and in the third phase in the West, we identify issues or concerns that we might have. And finally, in the fourth phase of the North, we share wisdom. We might develop a plan or take an action, and we feel a sense of unity with each other. I've learned to trust the process. Restorative practices is about life in community. It's about building community. It's about how we be with each other. It's not, it, rather than doing four or doing two. Nancy Riestenberg, who's a restorative practice specialist at the Minnesota Department of Ed, says that the circle is basis for a restorative school. The philosophy and function of peacemaking circles is based on our core values that keep us in good relation with others and teachings from indigenous communities. I'm gonna repeat that. The philosophy and function of peacemaking circles is based in our core values that keep us in good relationship and teachings from indigenous communities. It's the guidelines that we agree to and the core values that keep the circle going in a good way. I've learned to trust the process. I wanna share a story about Nellie Stone Johnson in about 2000 where Chuck and Oscar and I were asked by then mentor teacher Cindy Zwicky She's now Doctor's Wiki at the University of Minnesota, and I'm so honored that she is sitting right in front of me tonight. She, she, she's a little spitfire, I tell you. And back then, the principal was Larry Burgess, and the assistant principal was Laura Cavender, and they were all on board. And Cindy said, you know, you need whole staff training. 
we follow up coaching and ongoing practice. Some necessary components of that are leadership being on board, accountability with each other, support, training, and modeling. So Oscar and Chuck and I were privileged to go to Nellie Stone Johnson and support people in any way they wanted it. We could keep circle in their classroom and they could observe or we could observe them. They made a commitment there to use this in their unit meetings, their staff meetings, and in their classrooms, and their professional development days were in circle. I don't know if that was okay, but they did it anyway, huh? And um, it was just an amazing year. And one of the reasons that restorative practices were so important at Nellie Stone that year was the year before they had over 700 suspensions. That year, there was less than 75. That's an amazing statistic and a major reduction. But everybody was on board. Everybody worked hard. And when I say train the whole staff, the bus drivers, the engineers, the kitchen people were also involved in this training. Remember, there was a Pam Russ, I think her name was. She was a social worker with the U. And she was working with eighth grade boys. And these boys came up with, they, they did the Boys That Do Good Club. And they just started doing amazing things around the school. So restorative practices also provide the comprehensive trauma-sensitive approaches that we so desperately need in our schools, and that circles held for any reason are always about social-emotional learning. If mindfulness is open-hearted, moment-to-moment, non-judgmental awareness, that is the circle. I learned from Kay Pranis at a conference when she asked the group of people, she said, what forces or influences are in your life that cause you to do the right thing every day? And people were saying, well, like my family, my friends, my sense of spirituality. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other things people mention. Uh, just my sense of community. There wasn't one person that said the forces and influence that caused them to do the right thing were rules laws, suspensions, zero tolerance policies, or staff developments. It was all, <laughs> excuse me, it was all things that are about us being in relationship. I wanna just tell you briefly how Chuck and Oscar met each other. I did done a little work with Oscar and I had done a little work with Chuck and um, Chuck was often feeling institutional racism and he didn't often feel welcome. And one night at Green School, many years ago, there was gonna be a storytelling night about people's circle experiences. And I was looking at the roster and it was all African-American people and me. And I thought, oh man, I'm nervous. I'm not a public speaker, as you can probably tell. And I was like, I really want Chuck to be there. How can I trick him into coming? And so I said, if you come, you can meet this dude who used to play for the Minnesota Vikings named Oscar Reed. Chuck said, I'll come. So he came. And those two, they were like long lost brothers. I grew up on a plantation. I grew up on a reservation. My nickname was Butch. Well, so was mine. And that night, the three of us just formed this amazing partnership that we called the United Way, and, or the United Way, <laughs> slip. <laughs> we were pretty united too though, the restorative way. And, um, just a, a quick story about, about Oscar. Um, there was a visionary educator named Stacy Collins who was at St. Louis Park after the NAACP won the lawsuit against some schools where kids got to go to schools with open enrollment, free busing, I think, for 10 years. And she knew that there weren't a lot of people working at St. Louis Park High School that looked like the kids that were probably coming from North Minneapolis. And she invited Oscar to start an amazing program there. And the boys that he worked with in Circle came up with the name Boys to Men Circle. 
and they were, it was awesome. He knew these boys in middle school and in high school. He stayed with them. He was consistent. And um, you know what happened? Like suspensions were non-existent and fights didn't happen anymore. And these kids, actually brilliant kids, started signing up for AP classes. So uh, Oscar's done some amazing work in this field. And it's been a pleasure to be his partner all these years. What I learned something from Chuck that there's a behavior system that goes with this circle way of being or this way of being with each other. Chuck told me that the first thing we do is we put people in a circle so they understand how important they are to themselves as family members coming from a community that cares for and is connected to the universe or Mother Earth. Quick story about Chuck. One night we got a call really late at night and they said, hey, can you and Chuck come out to Wilder Forest tomorrow and do a training for us? I'm like, tomorrow? Well, our training Trainers canceled, and, and we need someone to fill in. I said, well, do you even know what we do training about? And they said, no, but we heard you're like really good trainers, and so can you make it? And we actually could. So we spent the whole day with these. They were uh, Minnesota State youth workers, and um, we were there with them from morning to late at night, in circle, doing just what we're doing tonight. You know, we centered, we talked about guidelines, we talked about our core values, what's important to us, what are some of our concerns, and we just had an amazing day as we were teaching the circle process. And that, when we were leaving that night, and they said, well, what, what, what was this training? And Chuck said, you guys figure it out and let us know. <laughs> so a couple days later, we got a thank you card from them, and they had labeled the training the self training, self in capital letters, because they said, you know, we really felt like you trained ourselves so that we can go forward and just be better youth workers in, in our work. Oscar and I really pay attention to kids. We listen to kids. Usually every circle that we close, we say, what was the circle like for you today? So we know exactly what a kid's getting out of it. And we also use a survey at the end of the year where we ask this one simple question. Would other students enjoy or benefit from being in a circle? And in 20 years of doing this work, every time it's yes. We've never heard a no yet. A few years ago, we went out to T.C. Williams High School. That, that was the, move, uh, the school featured in that Denzel Washington movie, Remember the Titans, years ago. And we got to spend our first full day with students. These students gave up Sunday to be with us before we trained their teachers Monday through Wednesday that week. And Interestingly, I think this is important to know that it was basically all immigrant kids that showed up. There was not one white kid from that school that gave up their Sunday to come and, and learn about the circle process. But I, what I want to do is share with you a couple comments that students made after their day with us in circle. I felt a vibrant energy and a passion for life. I opened my heart and I was listened to. I shared my dreams and I was encouraged. I cried and I was given hope. That circle has restored my life completely. Please never stop teaching because it wasn't a training. It was a life lesson that people need to learn. From the bottom of my heart, gracias. I'll never forget that day. And there was a student from the Congo whose first language was French. And they shared, my whole life, I've never experienced such a powerful connection between strangers. To me, it felt so strong and amazing deep inside of me. I don't know if what I said was understandable, but since that day, I felt relieved, like something heavy in my heart was swept away. And then just one statement from a student. We were invited to a high school to do just a voluntary peacemaking circle with whoever wanted to attend. Did a few of them. I wish I had participated in circle before my senior year. I felt like I literally found my voice in that circle. I had my eyes open and my heart open and I leave with hope. 
and confidence that I can make a change in the world. That circle was a safe haven. I made friends with people I never would have talked to, and it was the best experience of my high school years. I think it's important to keep in mind right now, when I, when I read some of those quotes from young people, that they mentioned hope, that they received hope, that they left the circle feeling hopeful. Because right now, I don't know if this is a true statistic, but I read the other day that um, more kids have committed suicide since the Columbine shooting than kids that have been killed in school shootings. And I thought, are school shootings about suicide, death by suicide? I don't know. But we need to be seeking these answers of where did their hope go? Deaths on the minds of K-12 students because we hear about it in circle all the time. And our personal feelings about death, I think, are a major factor in our mental health. And so it's heartwarming for me and uh, those of us that do this work to find students mentioning hope, that they find hope in the circle. It's just another reason I've learned to trust this process. A few weeks ago at the meeting, Raj, Dr. Raj, who's a professor at Metro State in the Criminal Justice Department, quoted Andre Lord and said, you can't fix the master's house with the master's tools. And that's just been going through my head for weeks now. You cannot fix the master's house with the master's tools. So often when people ask me what I do for a living, I just say, I do anti-banishment and decolonization work. <laughs> they're like, what? And it opens up a really deep and rich conversation, but I feel like that's what we're doing, right? We don't want to banish kids from a group, from a class, from a school. And our systems, like, when did they come into place? And who was at the table when they came up with these systems? And so I think essentially, if we think about what we're doing in schools, is we're decolonizing systems that are put in place that are failing a lot of the kids that we work with. I want to share one story that um, is from Lac du Flambeau. And I have permission to share this story. There was an amazing couple named Charlotte and Nick Hawkins. And I met Charlotte at a restorative justice conference in Wisconsin. And the Lac du Fambleau people built this beautiful village, an Ojibwe village that was for ceremonies and celebrations and storytelling and learning more about fishing and crafts. And it was just a, a magnet for gathering. And in the town close by to Lac du Flambeau, there was um, some boys that uh, were graduating from high school. They were all accepted at Ivy League schools, or really good schools, and it was getting close to the end of their year. Their parents were really prominent in the town, the bankers, the lawyers, the mayor's kids. And they got really drunk one night, and they went to the village, and they burned it down. So when the police caught up with them and asked them, what was going on? Why did you do that? And they literally said, because we hate Indians, which made it immediately a hate crime and they were facing big time. And that tribe just couldn't handle the fact that these boys would be sent to prison for what they had done, and so they begged the courts, can we please offer a restorative justice process for these guys and so they don't have to go to court? And it would be voluntary. Well, guess what? Every guy volunteered to be a part of that process. And what happened was they sat and they first, they helped rebuild the village, and they learned culture and they learned history, and they worked side by side. They had to live there with the people while this was going on. And um, they also made them make a videotape of their time 
that the tribe could use any time they want, and that's what I saw when I was at the Restorative Justice Conference in Wisconsin. I watched one of the boys tell about what his experience was like, what he had learned, and how he had changed with that experience. I know my time's just about up here, but I'm just going to share another quick one. There was this first grade class where these kids got in a skirmish on the playground, and the parents wanted to lawyer up. I'm like, what? So, you know, we talked to the parents and we said, well, we can go into the class and offer this peacemaking circle process and we'll just see where things are at and if there's been a repair of harm. And when Oscar and I showed up that day, the two guys that had gotten in the skirmish, they were loving on each other. They were sitting right next to each other with arms around each other. And I'm thinking, lawyer up. Okay. All right. But anyway, for our first round, we said, who are you and how you doing? Like, how'd you show up for school today? So we're going around and then the kids started saying, well, I'm doing good. And my mom dropped me off and I'm doing really good. And I rode my bike and I'm like, Oh, first graders, concrete thinkers, I asked them how they showed up today. <laughs> well, then the second round, <laughs> this is how you do values with first graders. We said, what do you want to find in your school every single day? What do you want to find here? It was so precious. I wish we had recorded it. It was like, I want to find kindness. I want to find people being nice to everybody. I want to find friendship. And almost all the guys said, I want to find adventure. And um, this teacher was like, why didn't I do this in September? I just had this beautiful lesson on what kids want to find in their school every day. So I've learned to trust this process. I think my time's just about up. I got two minutes, really? Oh, I could go into another No, that's probably good. But I do want to acknowledge a few people that are here tonight. Carol Markham Cousins, restorative principal extraordinaire in my experience. Oscar and I were at Washburn for eight years, and kids there, they, they loved it. I'd see them out places. They always say, hey, circle lady, how come we didn't get to keep doing circles after ninth grade? And I go, I don't know, talk to your principal. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I decided to close with a story that's a little lighthearted. It's called On the Decisions We Have to Make in Life. There was an old man and a boy and a donkey, and they were going to town. And the boy rode on the donkey, and the old man walked. And they went, they passed some people who remarked what a shame it was that an old man was walking and that little boy was riding. Well, I thought maybe they were right, so they switched places. And then they passed some people who said, what a shame it is that he makes that little boy walk. And they're like, okay, maybe they're right. So they decided they'd both walk. Well, then they came by some people who said, you guys are so stupid to be walking when you have a decent donkey to ride. What's going on here? So they're like, whoa, maybe those people are right. So they both rode the donkey. Well, then, of course, they went by some people that shamed them for putting such a heavy load on the back of the donkey. So I thought, oh, geez, maybe these people are right. So they decided, let's both carry the donkey. <laughs> so they're both carrying the donkey, and they're going over a bridge and he slips out of their arms and he drops into the river and drowns. So the moral of the story is, if you try to please everyone, you might as well kiss your ass goodbye. So, thank you very much. Ed Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League in partnership with Indigo Education and Pollen. Thanks to our generous sponsors, the Bush Foundation and the Vern C. Johnson Family Foundation. For more information on Ed Talks or to watch Ed Talks videos or listen to audio podcasts, visit AchieveMPLS.org.